1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. Christianity is a religion of victory. Jesus Christ died on the cross for sin, and the Bible tells us that three days later, he arose. And because he arose, everything else in life is possible for the child of God. We're able because of what he has done. Some of you have been enabled by a godly mother who taught you the word of God and prayed for you. But there is no enabler like our Lord Jesus Christ. He is able to help us. Uh, We need his help in our relationships, in the family, but also in the church. Uh, Wherever we go, the Bible says that God has given us the Holy Spirit of God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he lives inside of you, and he empowers you as you surrender to him and uh, ask for his filling. He empowers you to live the life that God has called you to live. And so, whatever problems you can face, God can overcome those things through you. Jesus said, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, Corinth was much like America. Uh, It was a place of wickedness. It was a place where morality was sliding. And a matter of fact, it was known across the Roman Empire as a place of immorality. And because of this, some of the attitudes and the ways of thinking uh, as people were saved and so forth and brought into the church, these attitudes and ways of thinking were also brought into the church. And so they were having issues. They were having problems with sexual immorality, but they were also having problems with uh, issues like fighting in the church. Uh, they were they had cliques, uh, but that not only did they have cliques, but they were also taking each other to court and suing each other over things that were done to each other uh, as church members. And then uh, they were also living for their appetites rather than living to glorify God. So Paul writes this chapter of Scripture to address some of these problems. And as he writes these things, he is calling them back to the life of victory that is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is possible for us as well. I thank God that as far as I know, there's no church problems going on in our church. But did you know that the devil loves nothing more than to come into a church and disrupt it with problems? And so as you listen to this message, listen to it. In the sense that, hey, it, we may not have problems now, but they may come soon. You never know. And so we need to be ready for that. But also, apply this in your personal family life. Apply this in your relationships with people at work. Because no matter where we go, the Bible says we're to be known as Christians by our love. And so uh, as you see these principles, you can put them into practice in every kind of area of your life. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to overcome evil with good. That's the title of my message, Overcoming Evil with Good. Look with me at verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 6. If any of you has a legal dispute against another, do you dare to go to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? 
And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels, not to mention ordinary matters? So if you have cases pertaining to this life, do you select those who have no standing in the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who is also able to arbitrate between his brothers? Instead, believer goes to court against, un, against believer and that before unbelievers. Therefore, to have legal disputes against one another is already a failure for you. Why not rather put up with injustice? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you act unjustly and cheat and you do this to believers. Don't you know that unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, nor anyone practicing homosexuality, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be brought under the control of anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will do away with both of them. The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? Should I take part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For the scripture says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual immorality. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body. On the contrary, the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Overcoming evil with good. How do we do it? Well, the first thing I want you to see is that we need to return to God's love. We need to return to God's love. He says in verse 7, to have legal disputes against one another is already a moral failure. In other words, he says you ought to be loving each other. You ought not to be suing each other. You ought not to be looking for opportunities to take advantage of each other. He says, hey, why not rather be harmed or mistreated? In other words, to have an attitude of forgiveness rather than an attitude of I'm going to make you pay. He says, but instead, you do harm to each other. This ought not to be. So he's calling them back to God's love. You remember God says his love is patient and kind, believes the best. It's not vaunted, not, doesn't vaunt itself, doesn't boast. It's not puffed up. It's not proud. It, it lays itself down for the sake of others. Like Jesus said, a, a man laying down his life for his friends. Jesus says it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Um, Love never fails. We are called to have this kind of Christian love. I heard of a lady 
uh, that uh, was going down into the baptistry and was told by the pastor, hey, uh, hold on to the handrail, make sure you don't slip on the steps. And she says, well, if I slip, I'll sue. That ought not to be the attitude of God's people. Amen? Now, we need to care. We obviously need to take steps to try to make sure we're not, we don't get hurt. But, but we need to have a heart of love. Um, I, I believe you can probably think of people in your life who loves you in spite of. Maybe there's some people here in this church today who have loved you in spite of. You've made mistakes, you've failed, but they loved you anyway. Aren't, aren't you glad? God, mothers are those kind of people, aren't they? They love us in spite of our mistakes most of the time. If you, got a godly, if you do have a godly mother, she will love you uh, even in your failures. But I want to tell you something. God loves us that way. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we need to have that same heart of love. Now, you can't do that on your own. Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for them that hate you, do good to them that despitefully use you and persecute you. We cannot do that in our own strength, but we can do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so um, ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Confess your lack of love. Uh, for people when you when you don't have a loving heart and uh, ask the Holy Spirit of God to love people through you and to have a forgiving spirit through you uh, there was one man that was a was a friend of our families and uh, when asked why his second marriage lasted his first marriage didn't he said I learned in my second marriage don't sweat the small stuff isn't that a great little piece of wisdom don't sweat the small stuff uh, most stuff that we get bent, bent uh, out of shape over is not really something that important. It's something that's a side issue. And so don't sweat the small stuff, but even go beyond that and have God's love for his people. So how do you overcome evil with good? I can't think of a better one than that. Return to God's love. But secondly, how do you overcome evil with good? Rely on God's wisdom. Rely on God's wisdom. Look at verses 2 and 3. Don't you know that saints will judge the world? I think this may have something to do with the time of the millennium when we uh, rule with Christ on the, on the earth and we are, are helping uh, in, in governing positions around the world. Um, but he says we will judge the world. And he says... Also, if the world is judged by, are you unworthy? Are you unworthy to judge the smallest cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? So apparently, in some regard, you and I will be a part of the group judging angels. I don't even know exactly what that means, but it's true. And so, um, if we can judge the world, and we can judge angels, Paul's saying, well... If that's the truth, you mean you can't scrape up a few people? I mean, it seems like even the least of you would be able to have a wiser judgment based upon God's Word and based upon the leadership of the Holy Spirit than there is judgment out in this world. Now, let me say this before I move on. I don't think what Paul is saying here is that you should never use the secular courts because in the Old Testament, they were a theocracy and they had courts. They had secular courts. You would bring these issues 
to Moses or to one of his representatives and later on to the judges and so forth. And they would make decisions based on the legal law of the land. And there are sometimes you need legal protection in your life. And I don't believe he's forbidding going to courts. But what I do think he's talking about here is if you've got a problem, why would your first impulse be to go to a secular court? Why wouldn't your first impulse be to go to God's people and say, look, I need advice. I need help with this problem. Uh, Can you help me work my way through this problem? Or to go to God's word and say, Lord, would you show me some things in your word to help me with my situation? Maybe get yourself a, a concordance and look up the topic that you're dealing with in your life and go to God's word and see what God's word has to say. Or to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you give me wisdom in this circumstance that I'm facing? Would you guide me with your hand? Because I'm not sure exactly how to navigate this circumstance. I remember the story of Peter Marshall. He was walking along the road as a young man, and he hears a voice saying, Peter, stop. Peter, stop. Peter, stop. So finally, the third time he heard it, he stopped. He's walking. It was a very foggy night. As the fog cleared, he looked, and he was standing at the edge of a cliff. God's voice had spoken to him. I believe that with with all my heart, that God was protecting him from making a step off that cliff to his destruction. Do we believe that God cares for us? God so loved the world, he gave his son. Will he not guide us through his word, through his spirit, through the counsel of God's people? Uh, Proverbs says, in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. So you ask a, a whole lot of godly people who have godly perspective about some issue in your life, hear what they have to say, hear the scripture that they may share with you, and then apply those things in your life And it's a very wise thing to do. But what if you ask eight different people and eight different people give you eight different answers? I had that happen to me once. Praise God, we still have the Word of God. And we still have the Spirit of God. I went to God and said, Lord, I'm even more confused now than I was before I asked for advice. What am I to do? But God spoke to me through His Word. And then He guided me by His Spirit. And I saw how... His timing was perfect and how he worked out that circumstance I was dealing with in my life. And God was faithful to me. You know what I found? God has never not once been faithful to me. Aren't you glad that we serve a faithful God? Go to him with your trouble. Trouble in the church for sure. Go to him with it. Say, Lord, this is the problem. How do I work through this situation? Who do I talk to? What steps do I take? When do I take those steps? And, and ask God and trust God and follow the leadership of the Lord and get that godly counsel and, and go to God's word because God is faithful and you can rely on his wisdom. We were talking this morning in Sunday school about the fact that uh, the wisdom of this world is often foolishness because they've suppressed the truth of God's word. Isn't it interesting how many times Christians go to secular sources to find wisdom for their lives instead of going to God's word and God's people you ever thought about that or sometimes maybe you feel inadequate you say well I can't help anybody I don't know anything I you know I have limited uh, ability or understanding but if you have the word of God you have got something that can truly help somebody else out 
And, and, and as you, what, what God has taught you, as you share that with somebody else, that's a powerful thing. Aren't you glad your mother shared things with you that were important? Um, I was, uh, I'm getting a little bit older, <clears throat> and uh, my eyebrows are getting those little uh, thick, wiry things, you know, where they stick out in a funky direction. And, uh, and I remember I was talking to my dad one day at lunch, and I said, I've, man, I've got these, these eyebrow things that keep going all these different directions. He said, well, my mother told me, just take your thumb and go along them like that, and they'll straighten them out. I thought, well, that sure is simple. I'll, I'll try it out. Sure enough, it worked. <laughs> now, you have to do it throughout the day, right? But anyway, uh, our mothers give us a little bit of wisdom sometimes, don't they? But especially in the things of God, when, when you have a godly mother. Let God's people give you wisdom, and then you share the wisdom that God has shown you with other people. It's a powerful thing. And rely on the wisdom of God in the problems of your life, in the, in the church, in the family, at work, wherever it may be. Um, rely on God's wisdom. Overcoming evil with good. How do you do it? Return to God's love. Rely on God's wisdom. Thirdly, remember God's grace. I love this. Remember God's grace. Now, he's going to talk about, in the scripture I'm about to read to you, about different practices. In other words, if a person is unwilling to repent, that is to make a choice to turn from sin, to follow Christ, that is part of the decision of salvation. It's a decision to surrender to Christ's will for my life. Uh, and if a person is unwilling to do that, they're not a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you must, uh, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. I started to say you must be born again. That's true too. But <laughs> unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Words of Jesus. And so what he's talking about here are not Christians blowing it and making a mistake. Because sometimes that does happen. Genuine Christians can sin, and, and matter of fact, 1 John says, if a man says he's without sin, he's a liar, and the truth isn't in him. But what this is talking about is a person who is unwilling to repent of a course of life. And if they can live this course of life with no conviction of the Holy Spirit, with no discipline from God, they have every right to believe they're not a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. And so, but then he's going to talk about the grace. He's going to say, you were like this, and then now you're this way. Let's read the scripture. It says, verse 9, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality. So, in other words, he's kind of covered all the bases. Sexually immoral, is that any kind of sex outside the relationship of marriage between a man and a woman. Marriage between a man and a woman is blessed and honored of God and is holy. And sex within marriage is a holy thing. But outside, it is porneia, as uh, the Greek word says for sexually immoral. Uh, idolaters, adulterers would be those who break their marriage vows against their spouse. Uh, practicing homosexuality is exactly what it says. Um, you know, it's amazing. We, I'm thinking of this in terms of Romans 1 because we've been in Romans 1 in, in my Sunday school class. And, 
um, suppressing the truth, suppressing the truth. But I was reading a commentary this week, and they have uh, all these ways that the homosexual community has tried to redefine these words in this passage so that it doesn't apply to them. Well, that's not really what that means. That, it depends on what the definition of is, is, right? No. Well, this is, this is what he's saying here. He's saying, look, every person who practices these things and is unwilling to repent of them is not of God's kingdom. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive, swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And here's the, here's the verse. And some of you used to be like this. Hallelujah. Something has changed. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Remember God's grace. <clears throat> uh, there's, a, there's a song that cathedrals used to sing. If you could see where I once was, if you could go with me back to where I started from, then I know you would see the miracle of love that took me in its warm embrace and made me what I am today, a sinner saved by grace. Remember the grace of God. Aren't you glad that God doesn't treat you as you deserve to be treated? Praise God for His grace. What is, what's the grace of God? It is the unmerited favor of God. The good things that He does for us. Eternal life is a gift of His grace. We were singing that song soon. I love that song. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the King. No sorrow there. No crying there. No death there. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's a gift of God's grace. Nobody ever earns their way into heaven. Uh, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God within you is a gift of God's grace. The fact that you, as he's mentioned here in the scripture, have been washed of your sin. Aren't you glad? Love that scripture in Isaiah. He says, come let us reason together. Though your sin be as scarlet, it shall be as white as snow. That's what Jesus does. He washes us and cleanses us from our sin. Praise the Lord, I am not what I used to be. He sanctifies us. He sets us apart. He makes us holy. He sets us apart as his special son or daughter. We're adopted into his family. He justifies us. He acquits us of all our sin. And in heaven's court, we're told the gavel falls. You're, you're innocent and free to go. Because Jesus took our penalty for us. And his innocence and righteousness is credited to us. What grace God has given us. Remember God's grace. You say, well, how is that overcoming evil with good? Because, number one, it will give you humility when you remember God's grace. I want to tell you something. There's not a one of us here who could make it into heaven without Jesus Christ. Not a one of us here who could know the love of Jesus without Jesus' work at the cross. Um, so, as you remember God's grace, it gives you a humility, but it also helps you to love other people in the same way. To be gracious with other people. Um, <clears throat> have you ever had somebody overlook your fault? Proverbs says it's a glory of a man to overlook a fault. To not mention something that they see as a shortcoming. Uh, so what a wonderful thing to have somebody that loves you enough 
to not sweat the small stuff with you. Amen? Uh, that's grace. Or treating somebody with love even though they don't treat you with love. That's grace. Unmerited favor. Loving a lost person that doesn't appreciate your witness and continuing to pray for them, that's grace. So as you remember, Jesus at the right hand of the Father never failing to intercede for you, know that God wants you to show grace to others. So remember God's grace. That will do a lot to solve church problems, but it will solve problems in your family. It will solve problems at your workplace. Remember God's grace. Overcoming evil with good. How do you do it? Return to God's love. Rely on God's wisdom. Remember God's grace. And finally, pursue God's glory. I love this. Pursue God's glory. Verse uh, 20 says, For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. There's another scripture verse that says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Did you know every facet of your life is to be an, uh, an expression of praise for God's glory? Whether you're at your secular workplace, whether you're at the place where you exercise or, or where, whatever you're doing, wherever you go, wherever you're doing, you're to do it for God's glory, to the best of your ability and to the honor and glory of God. Um, apparently, the Corinthians were, were using some slogans well, the body for food and food for the body, you know, in other words, eat, eat all you can, you know. And, and they were just, uh, they, they were on the seafood diet. They see food and they eat it, right? Uh, and so uh, Paul says, yes, but uh, even though these things will be destroyed, you need to glorify God with your body. Uh, everything is permissible. We're not under the law, we're under grace. Well, it is true that we're not under the law, that we're under grace, that we have freedom in Christ. But we don't use that freedom to sin. Paul says, live to glorify God with your body. He, he talks about sexual immorality and he says, look, you need to recognize some things about this. First of all, you're a member of Christ. You remember uh, Corinthians 12 and, and uh, Romans 12, I believe also, Ephesians 4 and so forth, that talks about the gifts of the body uh, of Christ. And it says one member is the hand and one member is the foot and one member is the eye and so forth and so on. You and I, with our different spiritual gifts, are part of the body of Christ. It's an amazing Thing. It's, a, it's an incredible dignity that we have. We are part of who Christ is. He expresses himself through us. We are in relationship. We've been joined to him just as a husband and wife are joined together. The two shall become one flesh. We're joined to Christ when we put our trust in him. We become one spirit with him. He lives within us and we are his and, and he is ours. We're one with Christ. Paul says, how in the world would I take my body and commit an act of sexual immorality knowing that I'm one with Christ and join Christ to that activity? 
Then he says, know you not that you're the temple of God? The Spirit of God dwells in you. Um, I remember my last church, uh, people getting upset because they found some gum underneath the pews of the church. And uh, they were uh, they're upset at the kids. And, uh, and I'd heard it. You know, it wasn't the first time I'd heard things like this. I'd heard over and over again, well, we, you know, we can't hang up Bible school decorations. What will it do to the paint? You know, some things like that. I'd had about all that I could take. And one day, I don't know if it was of God, it, was probably, it probably came from my flesh, I'll just tell you, okay? But, but I said it. I said, look, I, I wish that every inch of this church were covered with bubble gum if we could win kids to Jesus Christ. Sometimes we look at this church building as a sanctuary, and I think we should appreciate this sanctuary, this, this earthly sanctuary that God has given us and... and uh, but, but that's not the sanctuary of God. You are. Each individual child of God is the sanctuary, the living, breathing, walking tabernacle of God. We're holy. Um, I, I remember hearing, hearing my friends say, well, I cuss, but I don't cuss in church. Well... If you're the temple of God, what you're doing is you are violating the sanctity of God's tabernacle or God's temple when you sin. And so Paul says, don't, don't commit sexual immorality because what you're doing is you're desecrating God's temple. Glorify God with your body. And so how do you overcome evil with good? Pursue God's glory. Sometimes people ask, well, preacher, what can I do? What can I say? You know, how much can I get away with? Right? Is this okay? Sometimes I hear teenagers say that. Well, is it okay to do this? You know. And what, sometimes when we, when we say those kind of things, we're thinking, okay, how, how much to the edge of sin can I get? What he's saying is you shouldn't even be asking that question. What you should be asking is, what can I do to glorify God in this situation? And if you ask that question, and, and say there's a problem in the church, and you ask this question, what can I do to glorify God in this situation? What would bring him the most glory? I want to tell you something. Everybody's asking that question. You're going to have some great, a great spirit and a great attitude and a great work uh, going on in the church because we'll be glorifying God. When there's a church fight, people aren't thinking about glorifying God. They're thinking about themselves, right? James says, whence comes the quarrels among you? It's from your desires within, your own personal desires. But when people set aside their own desires, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. People set aside their own desires and they choose to glorify God. What a wonderful thing. By the way, works in your family too. When you choose to set aside your own preferences and your own desires and you say, look, what can I do in this situation to bring glory to God? Whatever you do, do all as unto the Lord, the scripture says. What if when your spouse ticks you off, 
instead of thinking, what do they deserve, you know, to get even? You say, how can I glorify God in this situation? What would bring the God the most glory? It would probably bring God the most glory to do something to honor my spouse or to show them love. You know what happens when you love somebody who's just treated you badly? First of all, they're ashamed. Secondly, it softens their heart. Softens their heart. And um, it can often be the building of a bridge. Some people say, well, marriage is 50-50. I'm going to tell you something. Don't you believe that? It's 100-100. You need to be willing sometimes when your spouse seems to be giving you zero to give you 100%. Why? Because it glorifies God. It honors God. Do it as unto the Lord. So, <clears throat> ask, how can I bring glory to God in this situation? By the way, that works at work too. How can I glorify God in what I'm doing here? What's the course of action that would bring glory to God? It's a great question. <clears throat> a while back they had a, a saying, what would Jesus do? You remember when everybody was wearing those bracelets and everything and I had a philosophy professor that, that couldn't stand that statement, which is another story, but he had reasons for that. But, it, but his wife asked his son, what would Jesus do? And his little boy said, how should I know? And uh, he, said, he said, I was thinking, yeah. But then he said, be respectful to your mother. <laughs> you know? And so uh, we may not know what Jesus would specifically do in a situation, but can I tell you something? We can know, based upon the word of God, what brings glory to God. Doing what is right brings glory to God. Acting in love brings glory to God. Doing good to your enemies brings glory to God. Working hard when you're unappreciated brings glory to God. I want to tell you something. When we bring glory to God and we're concerned about what he thinks, we're going to go a long way towards overcoming evil with good. And what a wonderful thing it will be. Overcoming evil with good. How do you do it? Return to God's love. Rely on God's wisdom. Remember God's grace. And pursue God's glory. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and and for the way, Lord, that you speak to us. And God, we cannot overcome evil in our own strength. But we can through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill us as a people with your Holy Spirit. And love our, our church people through us. Love our family members through us. Love our co-workers through us, wherever we are. Whoever we're interacting with, God, let people see your love in us. Help us to rely on...